Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Out to Be podcast. My guest today is Kara Snyder, and today we are talking about so much good stuff. I had such a fun time talking with Kara. I can't even exaggerate that enough. And she is so brilliant. She gives us so many tips on this episode for her guide really just to get well. And like most people who have made it their mission to help and educate people on this topic, she's really been through it herself. And she comes from a place of knowing that it's just not worth it to live a life of stress and unhealthy habits. So I'm super excited for you to hear this week's episode. I'm literally, that's all I'm going to say about it. Can't wait for you to get to know Kara and please let us know, tag us on Instagram, let us know what your favorite part of this episode was. And on top of that, if you've been listening weekly, please head over to the iTunes store and give us a rate and review. It means so much. It would really help us to get other people hearing about the podcast, listening to the podcast and subscribing so that we can continue to share this mission, share this message of wellness and health and continue growing our community. So that would mean so much to me if you could do that, if you've been enjoying these episodes and are looking forward to even more. We've got some super amazing episodes coming up in the pipeline, but until then, here is my interview with Kara Snyder. Hi, Kara, and welcome to the Out to Be podcast. Hey, Katie. Thanks so much for having me. On your website, you describe yourself as a strategist, a podcast host, a creator, a coach, a functional nutrition practitioner, and a poo whisperer, that's my favorite one, negotiator, a teacher, a speaker, among many other things. So can you tell us a little bit more about what you do and how you got to this place in your career? Yeah, so it's a, it's a long, wild story. So the first phase in my career, I was actually a CPA, and I was doing a lot of work in trouble debt restructuring. So that means coming into a company that is bankrupt and representing them But more importantly, it was about coming in and asking people questions, why they thought things were breaking down. It was really investigating processes and looking at where you could re-engineer those things and then hold people who worked for a business accountable. The work was really interesting. It was great, except it was 90 plus percent travel. And there were points in my life where I've actually clocked in 100 hour weeks. And that kind of lifestyle obviously can take a toll on a person. So after a handful of years of living like that and occasionally sleeping on a conference room floor or like not sleeping for a couple of days and eating whatever garbage was in the conference rooms that we were working out of, it started catching up to me. And I spent a good part of my 20s struggling with irritable bowel syndrome. Really, I think part and parcel from just the level of chronic stress that I was functioning under most days. And, you know, experiencing things like panic attacks and realizing, looking at some of my my supervisors and seniors and thinking, oh my gosh, like they all look prematurely old. Some of them are, you know, just in disastrous relationships. And I, I saw the writing on the wall and was like, yeah, I, I, I need to live a better life than triangulating where the closest bathroom was at any given moment. Mm. And I had a fateful experience where it was like the stuff you would see in a, in a movie where racing to the airport and struggling and feeling like I had to go to the bathroom and not having a place like having to run and like having to run to catch a a flight or I was not going to make it home that weekend. And literally 
one of those moments in life that I, it, it's so burned into my brain where it got to the point where I shit my pants on a flight, like trying to get to the bathroom, like holding up the plane where the flight attendant is like banging on the door. And at that point I was like, this is not how to live a life. And so over a couple of years, maybe two or three years, it was a sort of getting myself healthy and, you know, sort of how can I find a job that I don't have to travel so much or that I'm not having to deal in hostile negotiations every day? Um, How can I have a job where maybe now I can walk to work? you know, looking at those things and then also looking at just food and stress level and mental health and social life and all of those things. And as I layered in the change, people were like, what, what have you done? Like, especially when I hadn't seen folks for a while. And that really sort of led to my own kind of coaching practice forming over those years. Um, And then I was smart enough to recognize what worked for me was not going to work for everybody else that it was going to be a, a process of inquiry and figuring that out. And then that's where I picked up some more training in terms of functional nutrition and just coaching skills and motivational interviewing and things like that to really figure out how it's going to work for other people. But it was actually, you know, I've been doing that work for almost 10 years at this point, mostly with frazzled professional type A women and, and really trying to turn around where they're feeling kind of bankrupt in life. So it's similar to the work that I did for the first 10 years of my career, but far more humane and, and far more rewarding. That is amazing to hear your story. And now I feel like I understand the poo whisperer part a little yeah. bit. You know what's so interesting too is that when I was studying abroad in Paris, which was kind of the start of my anxiety, even though I didn't know it at the time, I also had really bad IBS. It was more of the kind where I was like, hunched over in pain and like lower back pain too probably like a shit ton of bread (laughs) also and like you know bread and cheese and meat but um that is so interesting to hear that we actually have kind of similar stories on that note that when the stress level was like almost at its highest that's also when the body starts telling you that it needs a break and it needs something to change yeah i mean science is showing us over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, just the gut is our enteric nervous system. So it's, it is related to all the messaging that, that we're getting in terms of taking in our environment, what's going on. Like that part of our body is actually hard at work too. It's not all just happening in the brain. Totally. And this plays into your concept of getting dressed as well, which I want to talk about. So I want to talk a little bit more about how we can make time and space for self-care. And you have a system, a concept called getting dressed. Can you tell us a little bit about why you created this and what it is? Yeah. So it's a little bit of a spin off of a, a training program that I, I had gone through and where they talked about diet and rest and exercise. Um, my approach differed from theirs a little bit in terms of I considered the S and the S to be around stress management and also social relationships because I was seeing the isolation that a lot of my clients were facing was then also contributing to the other things in that acronym being off. So I felt that was important for people to be considering when they're looking at taking care of themselves. 
That's so cool. So I want to dig deep into each one of these parts of the getting dressed acronym. So why is each one important and where can we start with them? Let's start with D, which is, or the first one, D, which is diet. Yeah. I mean, food is sort of our, how we interface with the world in a lot of ways. I mean, one, it's our basic nutrition and, and getting all of those nutritional gaps filled but it also can be a really interesting mirror of our behaviors and, and how we're interacting with things. So it's important to look at not just what we're eating, but also the timing of how we're eating and the quality of the things we're eating and our behaviors around eating. Do you notice that in our culture today, we have certain behaviors that are making it harder for us to both digest food, but also allowing it to really work in our body, absorb in our body and make us feel good? Yeah. I mean, for example, some of my clients are doctors. So think about what their, their work day looks like, right? They're racing from person to person to person to person and sometimes very little break. Mm -hmm. And I know with some of the doctors that I've worked with, one of the things when they came to me having some digestive issues, one of the first things we talked about was you know, how are you eating? Talk to me about mealtimes. You know, breakfast was maybe pretty normal, depending on if they had to hurry up and get to work and they went in early. And then dinner was often, you know, sometimes out or or at home, but fairly normal and, and predictable. But lunches were just sort of bonkers. And it was funny, like just one of the similarities that I was seeing among different doctors that I work with, they all scarf their food. So they're eating food that's barely chewed. They're not recognizing the sensation. So our bodies are having to do more work to mechanically break down the food. They're usually high stressed. So like they might not be producing the enzymes and other chemicals to chemically digest our food because both need to happen. And then, you know, they're experiencing all sorts of like gas and bloating and discomfort, but, and then feeling fatigued, but it's like our bodies are having to work extra hard just to digest things. So that's just one of like a bajillion examples. Yeah. Wow. I think it's really interesting too. So you practice functional nutrition and recently in the past year or so, I have gotten very into functional medicine because I was sick and tired of living with like chronic allergies, chronic migraine, anxiety, and all of these things that were just building up. And I finally got to the point where I was like, I know that I don't have to actually live my life like this. Like something is wrong. Something is going a little wonky here. And so last summer I went to a functional medicine doctor and it's been a slow process, but I've noticed a lot of changes that have made a big impact through healing my gut and changing my diet a little bit, my skin, like my acne has cleared up so much and my anxiety has also decreased that plus supplements. And, um, I'm curious if you see a lot of people as well who are either like super high strung or actually do suffer with anxiety or depression and notice that it has a lot to go. It it goes back to what they're eating and how their gut function actually is. Yeah. I mean, I think from my clinical experience, it's, it's more of a mix. And I think I always come back to that acronym because we can eat a super clean diet, but if you're going through say a divorce or you lost your job 
or you're only sleeping five or six hours a night, or you're literally, you're so stressed out that you can't function. Sometimes it's a, it's a matter of more like breaking a circuit or that's how I see it, where no dump truck full of kale is going to fix some of those other things. Totally. So we we can't, we have to be, we have to be fully getting dressed, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. why I go back to that acronym all the time because we, we can't put all of our eggs in any one of those baskets. We have to be sort of continually like reevaluating where we are. And it's like making a, you know, there's cleaning up your diet to a degree, but I know with some of the the type A's and perfectionists that I sometimes have attracted as clients, there's also getting so stressed out about any one of those pieces of the puzzle that then your intent focus on diet is then causing stress in the other part of the equation. So having to kind of manage all of it, but doing it in a compassionate and realistic and, and sometimes sort of piecemeal linear kind of way. For sure. Yeah. So we're going to move on to the second part and the rest of the acronym in a minute. Before we do, I want to ask you for people who are now maybe listening to this and considering, okay, maybe I should look at my diet and see if I can clean it up a little bit or just notice how it may be impacted by or affecting my stress levels and the way I'm living my life. But there's like 4 million diet fads out there. And I don't know what I'm actually supposed to do. Should I do keto? Should I do paleo? Should I try intermittent fasting? Should I do like any of these things? What advice would you give to someone who is now considering this, but also being like, what the F is the next step to take? Yeah. So first I would encourage them to strongly take a breath, like slow it down, like going from a junk food standard American diet to keto may not be the right move. And I think it's becoming familiar with your own body. I think there are some really basic things that people can do before they start playing with some of the more extreme diets. And that is get enough water every day. I can't tell you how many conversations I have had with grown, smart, hardworking, dynamic women about drinking water. So for starters, we need to be hydrated That's and that awesome. is part of diet. It's so simple, but it's so important to reiterate. It's so <laughs> forgotten too. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, definitely start with hydration and that also can come through food. And that's things like just incorporating more fruits and vegetables. Um, most people are not getting, the recommendations go anywhere from five servings a day to up to 13, I think is what I've seen in, in some places. There's no way that most people are getting even sometimes five to six servings of fruits and vegetables. So I think where people can focus on that first and getting the good stuff in, sometimes some of the other things may resolve themselves, you know, while they're, while they're just focusing on getting some tasty fruits and vegetables in. So let's move on to the second part, which is our which stands for rest. I'm sure you work with doctors a lot, you mentioned, so they must be hard pressed to get a lot of rest. And I think the same goes for a lot of people in the music industry because we're working quirky hours, maybe like late night gigs, or we find ourselves like up late at night writing or producing or recording and things like that. So can you talk about the importance of getting enough rest? 
I would say people in the music industry probably have it significantly harder. I mean, an ideal sleep schedule, as unrealistic as this sounds for your, your world, is probably trying to get into bed or winding down and getting ready for sleep like around 10 o'clock, you know, and, and then getting a full, you know, eight to nine hours sleep for adults, which, I mean, that's almost implausible for your yeah. tribe. A lot of people are probably like, that's funny. I, I personally am a grandma and I do, like I am in bed hopefully by 10, 15 and then I read until about 11 and fall asleep. And I also, this, this goes back to years ago where I was like, I'm not playing a gig after 9 p.m. Like I'm not getting on stage after 9 p.m. <laughs> like I won't do it. I'm too tired. But I'm also like, I've always been a person who needs sleep to function. So I've had mm -hmm. to make that, a, make that a priority. But for a lot of people who like find that they seem to be functioning okay without sleep, are we actually experiencing negative side effects that we might not be realizing when we're not getting enough sleep? We're functioning like we're drunk. So I believe it was a University of Chicago study. This was a handful of years back did a test where they looked at sleep deprivation. And so they, they tracked to see how people were functioning after getting, I think they reduced people to five or six hours of sleep. And pretty much like the results showed that people were essentially functioning like they were drunk. So, I, you know, it makes me laugh when I think of like what people used to pay me per hour, like working in finance, had the client known that I hadn't like slept for like you know, 24 hours straight and that I was like working on fumes. Yeah. I'm like, wow, they were paying for a drunk person to yeah. do, <laughs> to do that analysis. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, That's wild. And to think that so many of us think we might be okay, but we're actually functioning at that level regularly is kind of crazy. And it really does just stress the importance that if you want to be as productive as you can and as like creative as you can, you need to make sure that you are getting rest. Yeah. And it's only going to serve to make you feel worse in so many different ways. Like, so for any women who are listening, who are struggling with any hormonal issues, I mean, one of the best things you can start to do is just get more sleep. That can start to reset things and, and have hormones be working properly in a lot of cases. So whether we're going to bed like around 10 or not, how many hours of sleep should we be getting or aiming for? So most statistics that I've seen from like different sleep foundations or nonprofits studying sleep recommend eight to nine for adults. So it's, or seven, to, I've seen seven to nine as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, really the optimal is, is, is sort of eight to nine. Yeah. I'm a nine hour kind of gal. I am too. <laughs> and I'm I, not sorry about it. When you were talking about being a granny, I was laughing because my husband works in the music industry. So we're fortunate to be able to go to a lot of shows. And the question is always, or the series of questions, what time is the set time? No, really, what time is the set time? Like, yep. what did the manager say? <laughs> not just what's posted on the ticket. And then now at this point in my life, like, will there be seats? And if oh, like, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm 23 years old and I'm always like, where's the seat? Where's the seat and can I leave promptly at 9.30 p.m.? Okay, 
people again people listening to this are probably like oh lord but (laughs) see see if maybe like one night a week you can call it a little bit earlier and like make sure that you're super rested because you won't regret it and again it's about not being perfect like i mean i much like you like try to start winding down by about 10 and really like be be sleeping by 11 the latest but that doesn't mean like that happens every night right like if 5 out of 7 days a week i that's possible great totally it's it's all about doing the best but without putting so much pressure on yourself that you're causing anxiety yeah absolutely i think another area that people kind of have this predicament where they're worried about like going full force or if i'm doing anything i have to be doing everything which is exercise which is the third part of this so <laughs> yeah this was a question yeah, this was a question as a coach that was always really funny because I, I would always ask, you know, like, what does exercise look like? And then I realized I would have to get really specific with my clients. Like, no, how do you define a workout? Because I realized like quickly that was for some people, you know, 20 to 30 minutes of moving a day and maybe that's going for a walk or hitting the gym or doing some yoga at home or whatever. And then for other clients, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, I'd say, you know, well, did you work out? And they're like, well, I didn't have time to do a proper workout. And it's like, what's a proper workout? And it's like, well, if I don't run six to nine miles a day, like six days a week, it's not a week. <laughs> that, oh my God. So like, you know, there's also like having to like level set those expectations. <laughs> yeah. I like can't even imagine doing that. I, but I get it. Like some people, it really is like, this is my routine. This is my goal. If I don't reach that, I might as well not do anything. And yeah. I think that is something like that all or nothing mentality is can be really toxic to people because once you get out of that habit or you feel discouraged because you're not reaching that goal, whatever it is, then mm-hmm. you just end up doing nothing. And then you fully get out of the habit and then you're kind of screwed. Yeah. And with exercise, more than even a lot of the other habits, it is a habit, right? It's one that can be formed. So it's important to think about like what your body needs and like where in the day you can figure it out, right? Like someone who's a touring performing artist is Mm -hmm. when they get to work out and move their body and what they get to do, especially when they're on tour is going to look really different than someone goes, who goes to an office from nine to five yeah, and can either go before work or maybe take, you know, an hour at lunch to to work out. Do you have any suggestions for people who do have a more up in the air schedule? That's not as routine who still want to have an exercise regimen in their daily life, in their daily routine. It's hard to answer that without specifically getting into the weeds of, of somebody's situation. What I always sort of advocate is just looking at where you can move your body. Like I think some people get like really hung up on like, it's got to be at the gym or it's got to be at the studio or it's, it's got to be this long or it's not worth it. And there's a lot of things that we can like build into our day that, you know, it's just a matter of like, say, say you work in a you're commuting to between jobs, right? Like I remember at one point I was sort of, I got my start moonlighting as a coach while I was still sort of downshifting in finance. So I made the commute from Midtown down to Tribeca 
on foot every night. And that was, that was a, when I got my workout. So wow. that was just a matter of like having some clothes to change into that, yeah. you know, were comfortable enough that I could move and just choosing to walk Yeah, and making yeah. sure that, you know, I just had sneakers in my bag every moment. Yeah. I love that because it's really like, it doesn't have to be super complicated. It can be walking or going for a, a jog or, you know, moving your body for five minutes. If you're like in a tour bus or something like doing a, one sun salutation in yoga or something. And, and that's good enough. It doesn't have to be something crazy. Now, if you like that and you have the time for that a few times a week, then you can do that. But it doesn't mean that if you don't do like a full 60 minutes of hardcore exercise that you're failing your body. Yeah. Or doing like hit workouts. Like, yeah. you know, if you can get over yourself and like, you know, especially for bands that are touring in a van. I mean, I have, I have friends that tour in a van still who do this all the time where they just bring jump ropes or do, you know, like 10 minutes worth of like calisthenics, like in the parking lot, you know, when everybody's like having a bathroom break, you know, there's no way that you get back on the road in less than 20 minutes anyways. So you have time to do that and stretch and just be walking around the van Again, it's, it's always about like, just make it simple, like set the expectation for better than you're doing. And you can always continue to keep layering some more stuff in, but why make yourself crazy in the process? That's yeah, that's awesome advice. <laughs> I love that. Re-listen to that part over again, <laughs> set the expectation for better than what you're doing and then add more stuff in slowly. That's awesome. So let's move on to the first S of dress, which is stress management. Now, I imagine, of course, exercise and getting a lot of rest is part of stress management, as is diet to make sure that you are not putting a lot of stress on your body to be digesting a ton of junk food every day or foods that maybe just don't work for your body. But what else can we do in this stress management category to reduce our daily levels of stress? So I am a deep and firm proponent of meditation in any way, shape, or form. And that can be a walk-in meditation. That can be sitting on a, a cushion. That can be laying down for five minutes before you get out of bed as long as you're awake and just taking deep breaths and feeling what that feels like in your body. But I think carving out a few minutes of quiet space during your day is really, really really important. It can change not only how your brain is working. I mean, it really is like a workout for your brain. I think I heard a podcast recently with um, basically a Buddhist monk who has done, I think like somewhere in like the realm of like 50,000 hours of meditation and is part of like a neuroscience study where they're looking at like how it changes the brain and it does in a lot of powerful ways and usually in powerfully positive ways. Um, so something as simple as meditation or just even taking a few deep breaths. Like I think, again, if meditation, just that word alone gives you the heebie-jeebies or, or stresses you out, mm -hmm. maybe you're not there yet, but taking a few breaths is totally possible. What I would encourage people to do is taking big, huge inhales, and then focusing on how long and slow and quiet can you make that exhale. And if you, if you don't know any other techniques than that, then just try that. But I think, you know, stress management is also about 
again, looking at all the different pieces of dress and keeping it in perspective, like not putting so much pressure on yourself to get it all perfect and right and that you need to fix everything about yourself at every given moment. But it's also about taking care of, of your schedule and of time management. And I, I know this is something that, that's really important to you and, and threads through your work. You know, I think you can say no and you can do it without guilt, games, and drama. And that is one of the hugest acts of self-care that you can give yourself. And I, I think anywhere that you can be mitigating stress before you're having to feel symptoms of just chronic stress, anxiety, or you know, even depression, look for those opportunities where you can. Yeah. And you're right. I love talking about time management because I think for a lot of people, time management is part of the reason why they're not even bothering to take care of themselves or manage their stress because they make the excuse. And yes, it's an excuse that they don't have enough time. And maybe they don't have the skills or the tools to know how to manage their time. So I think that's a really important first step to getting people able to make sure that they feel comfortable in all the areas of their life and like they're taking care of everything else so that they know now, all right, I feel good making myself a priority and like working on all reducing stress in the rest of my life and doing other things that make me happy and give me a break from work and, and spend time with family do things that are fun, things like that. I want to circle back to saying no, because that, like you said, is also such an important part of this. And something I actually talk a lot about too, because I, <laughs> I've gone through periods of my life where I've taken on way too much. And part of it was because I just thought like, I can do this. I'm superwoman. And the other part of it was also because I just wasn't quite comfortable saying no or saying not anymore. <laughs> and I think not anymore is also an important part because you can start something and then maybe just be like, you know what? I can't do this anymore or this isn't for me. But do you have any tips for how we can do better at using the word no in our daily lives to make sure that we're making the best choices possible and not overdoing it, overloading ourselves, busying our schedules up with stuff that isn't actually fulfilling us? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I have to circle back to one thing you said because I think it relates to this. When people come at me and say, I don't have time, we're all busy. But when people say I don't have time to me, like, and, and people get this back from me a lot and sometimes they don't like it. It means you don't have priorities. Yes. So I mean, yes. first and yes. most importantly, like you really have to get a handle on like what is important to you because the idea that you can do everything all at once is, is a complete myth. Absolutely. And that means you're not making decisions as the owner of your life. I get so, so amped about that, actually, because it really, it's just like... <laughs> I do, oh, too. I, I, I just ran a time management free challenge not too long ago, and that was one of the big parts that we focused on before we moved into the tools was, what the hell are your priorities right now? Because if you don't know what your priorities are, then there's no way you're going to get anything done. And if you're not making yourself a priority, then there's also no way you're going to bother to make room for self-care or reducing stress or whatever you want to do in your life. Yeah. And I, I you know, people hear the word self-care and I feel like that's taken on this like totally different connotation, but it's yeah. so, 
important to remember that it that doesn't mean like taking the afternoon off and going to the spa, but yes, saying you know. no can be a really powerful, free, fast, and important way to practice self-care in your own life. Like yes. not taking on more than you can handle is pretty good at, at, at driving down stress. Absolutely. I mean, I think we can all think of an instance where we're supposed to go out and hang out with a friend or maybe go to a show and we're just like, oh my God, I feel so tired and drained. Like, I just don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to do anything. And even saying no to stuff like that is self-care. But I think on a bigger scale too, it's important to realize like opportunities. A lot of musicians, um, from what I see, of course I can't speak for everyone, but are sometimes afraid of saying no to certain opportunities or certain gigs because they don't want to, they don't want to turn anything down. Every opportunity seems like it should be a good opportunity, but it, that's just not the case. Not every opportunity is something, whether this is a work opportunity or a personal engagement, like, you know, with a friend or family member, not every opportunity is beneficial to our lives and will actually fill up our cup. So I think being able to be intuitive about that and know how you're feeling, what you're feeling, if you need a break and learn how to say no, whether it's like right when you're offered it, or even if it's the day before something's supposed to happen and you just think you're feeling super overwhelmed, that is something like a very simple thing we can practice in our day-to-day -day life that will really help. Like you said, that's a form of self-care. It'll help us like practice self-care. Not, it's not getting a massage necessarily. It's just taking care of ourselves and help to reduce stress. Yeah. And I think that the example of it you're bringing up, like with an artist who's getting pitched all of these gigs in the, in the flotsam and jetsam or all of these opportunities to get their name out there, right? The exposure, the exposure yeah, track. Exposure. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, it makes me think of a couple places that this can be improved. So like one is recognizing you don't have to say no on the spot right? Like you can always buy yourself more time. And like when people pitch me stuff, rarely do I ever answer in the same day. And if it's, even if it's face to face and someone's like, Hey, and pitches, you know, they want me to be on a board or a committee or this or that, or the other thing. I'm always like, what does this require? What do I need to know about time commitment? What what does this involve? Usually I'm hitting them back with a bunch of questions. And if they're, they're looking for an answer in the moment, I often tell people, I don't make a decision about these things without one, having time to look at my calendar. And two, I always like to get a good night's sleep. I do a lot of good thinking like in the morning when I first get up and I'm waking up and things just seem to connect for me when I get a good night's sleep. So you can buy yourself time and that can be your own internal rule or your own internal boundary. Like I'm not going to say yes to anything until I have a sleep. That's perfect. Um, yeah. And you can tell people that, you know, the other thing to build respect and credibility is to then follow, follow up with the person. Like if you say you're going to get back to them two days later, get back to them two days later, even if that's a no, you know, Absolutely. and, and, you know, to your point about, what if it's the day before a gig or a week before, you know, some free or promotional event? One, I think if you are making better decisions that are rested and informed, 
you're going to have less of that flotsam and jetsam filling up your calendar mm-hmm. and, and taking up space that doesn't need to be given up. Mm-hmm. So make better decisions, communicate that no. And, and really, if you find yourself at a point where you really are overloaded and you are going to do a half-assed job for somebody, as soon as you're getting that vibe that this is not working or it's too much, talk to the person, communicate. There's a lot of times that like things can be negotiated or changed or it can be done on a different day or it can be done in a different way. But having that conversation instead of just stressing out and festering over it and ruminating and who knows what negative internal chatter is even coming up. But like that is such a drain on your system. So the more you can be communicating those things as soon as they're coming up and identifying it, the easier you're going to, the easier time you're going to have, the more respect and credibility you're going to build and the more energy you're going to have because you're not wasting it, stressing out. Yeah, that's so important. Communication is such an important part of it. I actually recently had a situation where there was something that I was doing that was just not feeling like it was a beneficial use of my time. And it was something I had created. I really enjoyed doing, but just several months later where I am now, it was not really going the way it had intended. It wasn't, it just wasn't a good use of my time. And I was feeling stressed out anytime I had to tackle it or deal with it. And just Mm. using the phrase deal with it just shows too that I clearly didn't really want to do it. So what I ended up doing was talking to the person who I was basically doing this with. And we actually decided it's a better decision to put what I was doing on hiatus because it allowed us to Uh, take a bigger look at like, what was the purpose of this? How can we improve it? Where can we do better? And I'm being vague about it just because I don't want to announce anything yet or, you know, say anything. But what's important is, you know, again, whether it's career or personal communicating and you might think, oh, I'm going to disappoint someone or, oh, I committed to this. How can I back out? But if you are just open and honest about where you are at and, you know, why you think it may or may not be beneficial to stop something or put a pause to it or, just take yourself out of an opportunity or situation, most likely the other person will be way more receptive than you think they will be. And in a lot of cases, it'll turn out for the better. Another exercise that you actually reminded me of, I suffer from anxiety and something that I do to figure out like, is this anxiety? Is this just me overreacting? Or like, is this a genuine feeling is to picture myself doing something versus not doing something. And if you feel a sense of relief, if you feel a wave of relief come over you when you picture that not doing something or doing something, you know, whichever one it is, then you'll most likely realize that that's probably the decision that you want to make. So if you're thinking about something, even if it is just like, do I want to go out tonight with this friend that I agreed to? And you picture yourself sitting at home on the couch and you feel just like a, like a very deep sense of relief. (laughs) then maybe that's a sign that you actually need a break. You know what I mean? Or need new friends. Oh, that too. (laughs) Which brings us to the last part of this, which is social relationships. Yeah. I was just finding so much in my work that social relationships were winding through and around a lot of the other stuff, right? And when I'm saying social relationships, that can be romantic relationships or or domestic partnerships that can be 
clusters of friends, that can be coworkers, that can be boss. Like it's, it's come up in different ways, shape or form, but that can really be a barrier or a hindrance is what I've seen clinically speaking in a lot of ways to making some of the other changes. And then also like just the importance of having a social life as a whole, right? Like, so for example, you know, if, if someone who is a working mom, for example, is trying to make some very much needed dietary changes for herself, bringing those changes into the household and then how she's going to help feed everybody else or how that's going to impact everybody else in the household can be a source of stress and something that has to sort of be negotiated and figured out. Same if trying to exercise means like a conversation has to come up about, you know, with a boss or a coworker, you know, to either cover a shift or like when that break could be worked out or how that changes when you arrive at work, things like that. But then also just as a culture, the, the fabric of our, our social lives is really unweaving itself in a lot of ways right now. You know, it was, it was interesting going to South by Southwest this year. And I think, you know, I saw probably at least two or three different conversations or panels while I was down there, really just talking about the epidemic of loneliness and social isolation that people are facing and what that is psychologically doing to all of us. That's you really know, so interesting, yeah. It's really important that, that we be considering that a part of our functional health. Yeah. How do you, what tips do you have? Cause it's funny. We just talked so much about like saying, no, if you need a break, don't go out. But yet we do have to have that balance of making sure we're not, um, keeping ourselves so secluded that we do hit that point of loneliness, loneliness. And we're making sure that we are staying social. And of course, everyone's social level depends, depending on if you're like an extrovert or an introvert you sometimes feel like I get very filled up from being around other people. And when I'm alone too much, then I feel it. But some people need to be alone to kind of fill up their cup. But how can we stay more in tune with like where we're at, when we might need to go out, be around people, and when we need to just be with ourselves? Well, I think it's recognizing our own needs. And then it's also like, if we are flaking on plans all the time with friends, if we're, you know, avoiding family because we're trying to avoid some topic, if we're not going out in the evenings because we're not getting enough sleep or our nutrition's off, right, or we don't have the energy, then again, it's also important to kind of look at how are you taking care of yourself on a baseline? Like, are you not making social plans because you're too physically exhausted because some of these other things, these other parts of your dress are just a complete disaster. Right, right. Or is it, you know, you're an introvert and you mm -hmm. prefer to socialize. Like, I know one thing that, here's an example from my own life. I consider myself an ambivert. Like whenever I've taken personality tests, I literally am like always somewhere around 55% extrovert and like 45% introvert. Okay. So, so right in the middle. Yeah. And yeah. it's, that's been consistent probably over about 20 years. And so 
I know that I need to be around people and I feel good and I, I derive energy from that, but I also need time away. And so I started looking at social life for myself, especially when I was, I had moved a couple of times and was having to start over. And like, I was feeling really like wiped out from some of it. And I was like, why? And I realized because when I was sort of in transition and new to an area, like you tend to go to more like networking events and like bigger events where there's like a lot of people and that's just not my style. And so it's also kind of looking at what your preferences are in terms of, of socializing. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the best things I've done now that I'm in my forties is I say no to almost every like group dinner. I realized I hated group dinners. That's so funny. Like if it's, if it's six people or less, I will consider it. But if it's like definitely going to be more than six people, I'm out. I always found like it, it made my battery go down significantly faster. Just once there's eight people, it can sort of like split into two groups. And then there's like this weird crosstalk and like, you can't focus on any one person. Sometimes there's overlapping conversations. Mm -hmm. It just always felt yucky. And so yeah. I realized like, oh, I'm going to enjoy my social life miles more if I just say no to group dinners larger than six people. <laughs> so I, I offer that as an example because I think it's important to just look at who you are and what your needs are. If you only want to go out and socialize one night a week or two nights a week, great. If that's what makes you feel good and in balance and not too much, great. If you're an extrovert who's like, I just love being out every night and meeting new people and, you know, going to events that are 50, 50 people in a room every time, do it. Yeah. It's perfect. None of it is wrong, but if you are feeling a sense of depression and some of the symptoms that go along with depression or a sense of apathy, or just low energy, then it's probably a sign that something's not quite right. Yeah, yeah. I love everything you just said. <laughs> and I think it's so important to, because a lot of us, and myself included, before I really learned the more intricacies of being an extrovert versus being an introvert, we think about like, introverted people are quiet, and extroverted people are loud. And it's like, no, <laughs> that's not really it. You can be loud and be introverted. It's really just about how you prefer to socialize, where your energy gets depleted um, as opposed to being like rejuvenated. So it's important to just listen to our bodies, pay attention to how you feel the next time you're at a big networking event versus a smaller gathering with like one or two friends and see how that makes you feel and then maybe make that change. Like Kara was talking about moving forward say no to the things that you notice are stressing you out or are just really depleting your energy and making that change I think will be really big for people who uh, feel like they need to say yes to everything, don't know what they actually enjoy doing and want to just feel like they have a little bit more time and space in their life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amazing. So I want everyone to follow Kara on Instagram Follow me and let us know what your favorite part of this episode was, what you learned out of this dressed concept. Let us know how you're going to upgrade your getting dressed system. And I can't wait to see what people 
relate to the most. I know I learned so much in this episode and I'm so excited for everyone else to hear it. Before we wrap up, I know that you currently are working on your 33K task list project. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so this is just a little playful project that I've been working on on the side, but I was that kid in junior high who had a Franklin planner before even Covey got his name on that. You know, using my like Schaefer calligraphy pens to like set goals and write my homework and keep a calendar. That's so so cute. <laughs> I was a, I can't say that I was like the nerdiest kid in school, but like I was just jamming on my own thing and like clearly process and goal setting and being organized was, was my wheelhouse. <laughs> so I've always had a fascination with to-do lists, period. But in pretty much a decade's worth of private conversations with women, it was so wild how much in my tribe, the task list was like running people's life right? And for some, it's really a grounding and, and just helps people stay organized. That's how I've always approached it. It's like, ooh, out of my head. It's captured somewhere. I don't need to keep reminding myself to get the milk or to, to do this or do that. But for some of my clients, it was weaponized in a way where it was, you know, sleep was being disrupted because they didn't complete everything on their task list or they were waking up in the middle of the night, like borderline panic attack, you know, having to like output and like, I've got to write down all these things that I need to do. Then also like creating an expectation for themselves that was almost impossible for any human being to get done in a single day. And it, it just made me start thinking more and more about it. And I, I think for a while, I kept waking up myself at like five or six in the morning, thinking about different art projects that could be done with task lists or like what could we learn from task lists. So I have been collecting women's handwritten task lists for, I don't know, really casually for about, I don't know, a year or two now, I guess. So I think I'm up to around like 1400 and they've come from 27 states and seven countries and wow, so they're rolling in and so phase one is sort of collecting enough that you could do something sizable with it mm -hmm. so that's where the 33,000 comes from I was like what would it take if I literally wanted to do something as visually uninspiring as just like wallpapering them around a studio yeah and I was like yeah that would that would be like if I got all post-its, that would be the square footage. But ultimately, I'm not sure exactly, and I'm still giving myself plenty of time because it's going to take me forever to just gather women's task lists of what the final artistic expression would look like. But what I, I do hope the, the result is, is to have women look at task lists in a different way one, let's see what we all have in common, but also like, how can that change how we think about desire and obligation via this little piece of paper that, that so many of us use? I think it's so cool what you're doing. How can people who want to get involved send you their task lists? Yeah, so they can mail them directly to me. So it's Kara at Vital Core, C-O-R-P-S. 
and it's P.O. Box 453, and that's in Hurley, New York, 12443. And you can send them anonymously. You can black out if there's a phone number or name that you don't want me to see. You can certainly redact it. Um, and if people have any questions, they can go to 33ktasklists.com. And there's a bunch of FAQs there. And yeah. Awesome. Do they need to be in a post-it size? No, they can be any size. And some of them are hilarious. They're on like, I have a friend who has sent me a couple now where I'm pretty sure she's just in a store and takes one of those like end cap signs and just tears a corner off and like writes down like things that she's thought of in that moment. Oh my God. <laughs> um, they come in on napkins, on Starbucks coffee rings. Oh my gosh, really, that's so funny. The only thing that I ask, um, and I feel like I get so much pushback on this one point, is that they're handwritten. I think there's something special and energetic yes. in, yeah. in holding something that was made by another human being and also just seeing the different handwriting and, and penmanship. So that's so awesome. If you're interested, definitely send Kara your task list and help her get to 33,000. <laughs> I know. You can I, be one of 33,000. Yeah. And, you know, I just tell people address an envelope. That's usually the hardest part because mm -hmm. if you have that visual reminder, you can just stuff in as many lists will fit in, in the envelope and then mail it off. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. So that's amazing. I love that project. I love everything that you're doing. Where can we connect with you and find you further? Yeah. So a lot of my, my time and, and work these days is around the podcast. So we are, we are kindred souls. So if anyone is is looking to hear some longer form conversations with women who don't have time for bullshit or burnout, um, they can hop on over to levitalcoursalon.com. Amazing. Go take a listen, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and you're on Instagram and social media, right? Yeah. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And what's your handle? At vitalcore. So vital, V-I-T-A-L and C-O-R-P-S. Perfect. Thank you so much, Kara. This episode was amazing. I loved chatting with you. Everyone, seriously, go follow her. Go tell us what your biggest takeaway was. Post it on your Instagram story and tag us. We want to know. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Out to Be podcast listeners. <laughs> it was Bye. so awesome to be here. Yeah, it was awesome having you. Bye.